Sedan looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. This call is being recorded. Hi, y'all. Nerdcast. 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 We're doing it. We're doing a nerdcast. Look, Joe Patrick is gone. We have we have kicked him off for this week. And in his place, in his place, we bring on essentially the third member of the team. Uh, for the most part, probably the person we've mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> I know, scary, right? Probably the person we've mentioned most on this show. Like every now and then, like if I'm feeling nostalgic, I'll go back and like check out the first few minutes of an episode of like, oh, what was it like when when the Varquake happened in San Jose or whatever? And inevitably, inevitably, this person shows up. Uh, and today we brought him on to to talk a little, talk some numbers. Talk some uh, Frank DeVore and James O'Connor face and maybe talk music at the end of this. I don't know. We're going to figure it out. But uh, the one and only uh, Teotl Football and all his mystery has agreed to at least share his voice with the world for a little bit on this show. Very exciting stuff. It is exciting. I, my heart is pounding ever since I heard her say this call is being recorded. Oh, God. You get to experience that in the flesh tonight, too. And that's that's. That's access we don't offer to, to all our listeners normally. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. The next time you're, you're listening to us and eating cookout, sadly, while you take a break from wherever you work, uh, we won't reveal that, but uh, you can listen to yourself on it. And I think that's a good thing. I think we're doing the most good around here with Five Stripe Final. Right on. So <laughs> I wanted to get you on, especially at the beginning of the year, uh, to kind of take an analytical look at, at what we can kind of determine, I guess, about the, the future of this team, uh, because there are so many unknowns going on right now. Um, I think what we definitely know is that last year's team was real, real damn good. Uh, but before we kind of get into that, uh, let's go ahead and just let's just let's just talk about the numbers. Let's just. These, these are our children, and we've kind of, to, to my and Joe's, uh, uh, I don't know, not probably detriment, but also just com- being a complete disgrace to, to what we represent. We've gotten away from the numbers a little bit on Five Strike Final in place of just cynical and sad depression talk for the most part. Uh, but even still, we'll, we'll throw in the XG from time to time. We'll, we'll talk about it and what it means and how we can put it in context. Um, and and we'll do that more than maybe maybe some other shows maybe some other shows that are more dismissive of things like this. But I but I wanted to talk about uh, numbers in general and just kind of why we use them in soccer and how we can use them in soccer, um, especially the more analytical ones. Uh, so, so give me give me the sell, Tio. Give me the thesis statement on numbers in football. Yeah, well, you guys you guys do a really good job of it. I think. I mean. I hear uh, you hear a lot that, uh, that you know there's so few stats in soccer and the game is so fluid and so why why should we care about statistics and analytics and that kind of thing? Go go use your math on baseball and that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, I guess I want to start 
But I, I, I think that's why the numbers are fine with soccer because the game is very complex. If, like regardless of analytics or stats or whatever, like understanding the game of soccer just seems inherently harder than understanding baseball, right? Where, where you have, you actually have a lot more statistics and that kind of thing. It seems like overkill to, to be like crunching a ton of numbers in a game that's literally just innings of numbers and discrete pitches and all that kind of thing. So I think it's fun um, to sort of ground ourselves in the numbers in soccer. But if we start from like, do we need this stuff? I would say if you can uh, bear with me and, and imagine there's an omniscient God character who really likes soccer okay. and uh, he or she has unlimited time to watch all of the games and all of the players, you know, from all of the, the viewing angles possible. And, and she has unlimited memory to recall everything that's happening and knows the game really well. I would say there there would be absolutely no need for any analytics for that that person or for that person to ground themselves in any number. They shouldn't read any any right. damn thing written by American Soccer Analysis uh-huh. or Seattle Football and Dirty South Soccer, and they shouldn't listen to Five Strike Final ever. And well, the, uh, the bummer about th- that, as I kind of feel like that that art or that blog or whatever they were on would probably only get like twelve cl- clicks because that's just how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> But continue, continue. I, I'm there. Yeah. I'm there in the headspace. Yeah. So, like, if if you were that that powerful of an omniscient uh, of being, you certainly wouldn't need this stuff. But I think most of us, you know, if, if we follow a team, we watch um, our team every week, and maybe one other game, and we might watch our team like twice. Like I used to do this back when I was blogging more. You might watch your team twice and be like an expert in what your team is doing, right? But mm-hmm. Your memory is fallible. You're extremely uh, biased by whether the team's winning or losing, and and you're also not watching all of the games. So you just you have no like context to ground yourself in, right? So I think if if you don't do anything fancy at all, just just thinking about the game in terms of of numbers just grounds you contextually to sort of have a a, a slightly more balanced view. And 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 then importantly, like you don't freak out when your team loses and you don't get too excited when they win because life is meaningless and all the numbers say that everything is going to be fine and not set not that fine so i i think but but at its core um like one of the things we do is is we uh, get really excited when our team wins which means they score goals right and, and we're, sure. we're pissed when they don't uh like the other night and um at its core right the the game is really about like finding ways to shoot the ball from your opponent's penalty area, I would say, mm-hmm. and then preventing them from doing that in your own penalty area. And, and I think some might say, well, no, it's really about scoring goals and keeping your opponents from scoring goals. But like the, uh, where we get into the, some of the numbers is that goals are so rare in soccer. Um, so there's not many of them. So if, if we wait around just to watch the results of games based on goals, we're going to like, we're going to see a bunch of noise and it's going to take us a lot longer to get uh, what the nerds would say, like an, an adequate sample size to be making determination as to who's good and who's not, et cetera. Um, so part of why that is, is so it's sure that the game is about having players that score the goals when they shoot them, but the, <laughs> it, 
it's more about getting those shots. And the reason is because everyone is terrible at shooting. This is the literally, new thing, right? This is the new literally, bit. This is my new bit. Soccer is hard was so 2017. <laughs> the new bit is everyone is fucking terrible at shooting. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. So like I looked at I looked this up and like Lionel Messi is, is the greatest. And uh, he's still just terrible. He's terrible at shooting on an absolute scale, right? Okay. He only, I looked at his stats. He's converted 28% of the shots that he took from inside the box. Those are inside the box shots. Like they're, those are the good ones, right? Yeah. He's, he fails over and over and over again. And he's converted 28% of them, which by the way, is like twice the average of, of conversion in, in La Liga, if you look at the last year. So mm. if only 14% of shots in the penalty area are going in, everyone's terrible at shooting. You can understand why it's much more important to create shots as a team in good areas than it is to try to find shots for your best player wherever he is. Sure, um, and this is where XG would come in. That's that's almost the exact definition, am I right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I was, uh, yeah, I was, um, so drink. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was thinking maybe we wouldn't, we wouldn't have to say it, but you're, you're totally right. So if, if just, uh, judging who's good and who's bad sucks if you do it based on goals because goals are so rare and it takes forever for you to get enough of them to be making adequate determinations. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one of the things you could do is you could look at shots, right? And you have a lot more shots to look at. And, and in truth, uh, teams that are, that are shooting the ball more and from in the box than their opponents, they are, that is a better predictor of future goal scoring than actually just looking at goals in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, however, shots are shots aren't great because they don't tell you how good the shot was, where it was taken from. Whereas goals give you some of that information. Like if a team is scoring goals, it means they're probably taking good shots. There's yeah. just not enough of those goals to produce sort of high quality judgments until you get later in the season. So expected goals, I think, is that that happy median where you say, "What if we expanded our sample size to look at all the shots a team's taking?" and do something about gathering some information on each one of those shots so we can make the most out of sort of more information. That's what they would, that's what they would tell you. So you end up with the, you know, more, more ammunition to work with if you're trying to figure out who's good and who's bad. And I, th- I think people get kind of caught yeah. up to and just kind of the, the singular instances of, of XG. Um, like, you know, sometimes Atlanta United will win four one, the XG will be, way closer than that we'll show like a maybe like a two one kind of score line in theory and people will point to that and say oh it's bullshit um and then other times you get very obvious results like the one you had uh with the dc game where we took two shots from probably 40 yards away and our xg ended up being like 0.34 um so can you kind of talk more about how we can use it to kind of look at future success rather than kind of analyzing it on a micro level. Yeah, I, you're, you're right. Looking at anything in, in one goal instances is, is perilous because, hey, first of all, if you're like a crazy Atlanta United fan and you watch the game twice or, or you watched it once from the stadium even where you could see the whole field and you went home and you're so excited you watched it again, don't do that, by the way. <laughs> I've made that mistake. Uh-huh. Uh you know, if, if you do that, like you probably do know more about the game than 
an expected goal model can spit out for the game, especially if you're if you're calm and objective about it and you know the game well. Um, so it really doesn't tell you a ton about the game you just watched twice. Uh, <laughs> although you you know it might be fun to settle a score or an argument if, if you're fighting with someone about hey whose team had the better chances. Well, but this is like a way to to do that. So yeah, in terms of looking forward, in terms of looking forward, any one game is just not enough. Um, sample size. So the great news that we're so sad about the, the DC game just now is that it's just not enough information, right, to know if we're any good or not. It's and, definitely and enough have... information to know if they if they sucked last, you know, the, the other night, and, and that that did happen. They were terrible. Right, <laughs> right, you're right. Which but we just don't know. Yeah, and, and so I think if you're trying to, like, if you're a gambling institution or or a gambler. Mm-hmm. Um, you want as much information as you can to figure out who's good and who's bad as soon as you can. If you, if you just look at results and wait for a team to turn good, you're going to, you're going to think Orlando city at the beginning of last year is good. Right. And that's a mistake. Right. And the, and, and the, the model never ever showed that they were like actually doing anything. Well, they were just kind of getting lucky and eventually that crashed down to earth. Yeah. It was, it was something, it was something more modest. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So if you, if the if the key is I want to figure out who's good, and I and I and I want to uh, bound myself by making those determinations with enough information. First of all, it's it's a lot of fun not to do any of that, and and I, sh- I should say, <laughs> as a fan and as a, as a journalist or as anyone, like feel you should feel free to to speculate and make judgments and those kind of things. But if you're trying to like, if you're tra- if if you're if you make money when you're right and and you lose it when you're wrong, then going with the the thing that's going to get you predictive power first is the way to go. And that so far, you know, looking at shots is better than goals. Looking at goals is better than nothing. And, mm-hmm. and looking at expected goals is better than both of those two things. But probably, again, the omniscient uh, God gambler is going to beat you every time sure. just from like understanding the game and seeing all what's happening and all that stuff. So. So let's let's talk a bit about predictive power within the context of Atlanta United, uh, especially this early in the year, because in essence, this is kind of I kind of wanted this to be a preview sort of show with a focus on analytics. Um, Of course, it's obviously so early. We're also recording this before Monterey on Wednesday, so things could get even more doom and gloom by the time this is actually posted. Uh, But let's again look at predictive power within. We have last yeah. year's numbers and then a few little numbers this year. Uh, what can we kind of get from those and how can we understand where this team might be heading? Yeah, well, that, it's really hard. And um, if you, I'm, I'm going to plug real quick, you should go to American Soccer Analysis, everyone should, and just read through as many of those previews as you can, partially because the season's back and you want to get as immersed as possible. It's fun to understand the league and and to catch up on teams that you're not as familiar with. So I'd, I'd say to go do that. They had me write the Atlanta one because everyone else there hates Atlanta. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did and, and trying to preview 2019, I, I thought it was really hard. I mean, you can look back to 2018, which is what I did mostly. And you can pretty definitively say that they were excellent in almost all regards. I mean, they, if, if I rambled for an hour earlier about, the point of the game is to create shots in your opponent's dangerous areas and to prevent them from doing that in your own. Atlanta United was 
exceptional on both ends uh, from open play. And especially, I mean, the part that I don't think was talked about enough was probably the defense. Like we just, Mm -hmm. it was in in a year where everyone was shooting and scoring more than ever before in MLS. I think that's right. Um, Atlanta was really, really keeping other teams from doing that. They were keeping them from even getting the ball into the box, passing the ball into the box. They were keeping them from, from shooting in the box. It was just really, part of that was they had the ball a lot which helps and that's like sort of the barcelona cliche of having the ball to to keep it from your opponents but but also just like when the other team had the ball we really just kept them from from doing much so that's great right sure um but when i look into 2019 we've got almiron's gone gars is gone Tata has gone most importantly. And I have wrote, I don't know exactly how to predict it into 2019. I think it's hard. So you have to think through uh, several things, right? And if mm-hmm. we, if, should we do Almiron first or should we do? Well, your, I, I did want to ask, you mentioned, you mentioned the defense and their kind of success. Um, yeah. What do you, you may not have these numbers directly on hand, but I'm sure you can have an idea. Uh, what was the difference when Atlanta was in that three, five, two, whatever you want to call it versus the four, two, three, one, we kind of saw intermittently throughout the year. Were, were there different results based on the formation? Because I think a lot of people right now, in, including some hesitancy from, from me and probably Joe Patrick too as well, um, are, are looking at what we're doing in three, four, three, and we're seeing people freak out a little bit over it. Uh, and it's yeah. maybe not even a back three thing, but uh, I do kind of wonder if there was a disparity between what we did last year and a back three versus a back four. Yeah. So, so what, um, to go all the way back, I mean, I think what's been really fun and interesting choice from the, the management office on this team from the beginning of the team and on is that it's been this like high pressing team. Right. Yeah. And I love that because as a, as a dumb soccer fan, that's easy for me to <laughs> understand, like go see ball, go get ball. And I right. think for well, me, I mean, how you play FIFA, like you hold down the right trigger and you, you take yeah. off towards the person with the ball and, and try to create chances from it. It's yeah, very- it's like it's aggressive, it's intuitive, and it's got swagger, and it's just like it was great. And in 2017, they were extremely high pressing out of that back four uh, for almost all of the all of the year, and it was right at those levels that you see with with um, New York City and Red Bulls and others, where our opponents just they're just not making that many passes before they run into pressure or defensive action from our guys and so there, there are metrics that, that you can use to measure that and, but last year we spent we really spent half the year in that four three three and half of it in the back three um the back three we switched over to it right after that debacle in houston we had it for a while and the whole time we were thinking uh, well tata wants to get to a back four because he wants to press and he, I think he even said it at times in press conferences. And I was really anxious. I was like, we need to get back into that back four. That's what we do. Cause the 2017 was so much fun to watch and I loved it. Um, eventually you know, we moved into the back four and then we had s- some other injuries. We ended the season sort of flirting with both formations. And then I mean, what you're referring to the, the three, mm-hmm. five, two was exclusively what we played in the playoffs and we kicked everyone's ass with it. Right. And, um, and it was a really like solid three five two, right? So you've got Almiron as one of your strikers up there with Joseph. It was like Gressel and Magdi and and then Rometty or in the middle. So it's a really solid three in the middle and, and on 
I haven't answered your question. I, th I think on net in the three five two, we saw like higher levels of um, disruption in our own defensive third in terms of what the, the opponents were able to do with passes. And the American Soccer Analysis has this handy X pass model where they, you can see that. Um, and and our opponents like had a little bit of an easier time passing the ball around in their own third or in the the, the middle third compared to when we were in the four three three and we're really we're really getting at them with the high press, right? But I think importantly, when we talk about not letting passes come into our own box and not letting shots off, I think it had something to do with that back three, the three five two, and you can you can see it a little bit in the numbers, and then obviously and the res the results were really good. I share your concern. I think that you know DeBoer's back three is different, right? Yeah. Like it, um, you've got. Uh, the three four three has like two midfielders, and I, I'm still working. I'm, I'm trying to jump to conclusions, but I, I have a hard time seeing how it how it flows uh, so far on the you know the away trip to Costa Rica and then and DC the other night. But it, it's going to be really interesting. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned in your your preview piece for ASA, which everyone needs to go check out. Um, the uh, the Felipe Cartanas quote he got from Michael Parker about wanting to be involved in more or in less one on one situations at the back. We mentioned yeah. that here on the show before as well. Uh, but it, you know, it's it's seeming like they're getting involved in more <laughs> all of a sudden. Yeah. That's 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 frightening. It's frightening, and I'm sure that will eventually show up in any kind of model we put out um, or, or any kind of stat you kind of look at with key passes inside the box because DC uh, was regularly there regularly there um and you yeah know, if we see more of that with monterey and hell if we see it with cincy then there's going to be a goddamn riot but you know uh yeah it'll be interesting to look at the rest of the year i think and i should i'm, I'm really excited about DeBoer and like uh, following ajax and the dutch stuff was some, some of the first stuff that i got really into as, as a soccer fan but and, and it's really exciting he's our coach it, it, it was crazy to look down the sidelines at kennesaw and see the guy that hit that long pass to um, the Bergkamp, just like yeah. he's our coach. It's just wild, right? But if I, I I am wondering, he says he wanted to come in and make make changes on the defensive side of things and keep things the same and attack. And I look at the numbers last year and you know we and the games we all watched. The defense looked really good last year, and so either he's got just some other high level concept that he's still working through and. And I'm ignorant to it, right? Or, you know, is he, you wonder if he's um, misdiagnosing the problem, maybe. Sure. Or Bobby Warshaw is right. And everyone is just super in their feelings about Tata not being there. <laughs> um, who knows? You got to be careful. I, I'm following Bobby Warshaw on the podcast, aren't I? In terms of, you are game. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. He's, he's awesome. <laughs> He is. He's interesting. Oh, and I, I think he kind of gets in some abstract planes of thought sometimes, uh, which leads to some interesting takes. Uh, but, you know, it makes him an easy target to an extent. And Lord knows, I would, you know, I would never go after an easy target or anything like that. But, uh, <laughs> not in my brand. Not in my brand. Um, did want to move on to you. You were mentioning Almarone, and I feel like you have a grand point about Miguel that you want to make, especially with so much uncertainty if you talked about flow a, a second ago with the three four three i think flow without miguel is something that's a big question mark for us 
Yeah, and I and like having seen some of the games now, you you wonder about linking midfield to attack. And I think it's easy. It's really easy to point to Almiron's absence and say, is that one of the big differences here? I think even before these first couple of games, though, mm. there was this question that we're losing Almiron, and he was such an insanely prolific attacking player for us in terms of the shots he was creating and, and the shot assists he was creating. And I, I wrote a piece about Pity uh, when we signed him. The numbers, uh, I don't have the, the best insight into all the, the data in Argentina, but from what I could get looking at you know, the public stuff and who scored, it really did look like from an output perspective, right? Pity is, is a pretty, like, it's pretty good in terms of trying to replace that attacking volume. He's, he's a really, really creative and um, has a lot of attacking effort there. I, you know, it, on, on top of that, Argentinian players do really well when they come to MLS. And we've seen that in Almiron, Assad, Blanco, and Barco, and Ladero, and on and on. Like mm. almost all of them seem to do put up better numbers than they did. And since pities are starting so high, you look at that and you go, this sounds like a really good deal. Um, but the, there's this thing I wonder about with Almiron. And, and um, you've been indulging me so far, but you might have to, you might have to go off a cliff here. The, the numbers are going out the window. But with Almiron, I have this idea that it's possible that no stats can come close to capturing sort of what he did for us last year in terms of how scary he was with the ball, with, with his speed. And it makes me think about um, – you're much younger than me. You've played Madden. They still – I think they still I, make these they, games, I think right? they, still, I still, they still make those games, I'm assuming. EA Sports, I guess. Madden. I've, I've matured and I've grown out of playing any such trite yeah. games such as Madden, so, but continue. Yeah, so I haven't played Madden since like the mid-2000s, but I have this idea in my head that I can't shake. And I love all Almiron analogies, and I'm guilty of them as well. They, he's faster with the ball than he, you know, he is without any sorts of whatever you call them. But in, um, so in, in Madden 2002, uh, I think this is the right year. This is the one that's in my head. So Michael Vick has joined the NFL by this time, right? And right. In, 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 I, I think in all the Madden this now too, and this is great. Yeah, and and I think in all the old uh, Madden games, so you like when the play pass, so you pick a play, you drop back, and there's like a button you hit to bring up the the other buttons you need to hit uh, to pass to receivers, right? Right. You know, square and circle and all that. Um, what I remember on the PlayStation, right, though, is that uh, they had it set up to where if you hit triangle, all those uh, those receiver icons would fall down. And now you're like a running back. You have the controls of a running back, although you're a quarterback. So you're not going you're not going anywhere traditionally. But in, when they put Vic in the game, they gave him like 85 speed. And uh, that I think that was like too much. And the, the system they had just did not contemplate the idea that you might run with the quarterback for gains. And so what I remember doing was like dropping back with Vic, hitting triangle, and then just like running to the corner and like no one could touch you and you just run forever and ever. The game was just broken in a sense. <laughs> sure. And uh, I think after that, they, they they changed it to where they did, I don't know, they did something to where, you know, you could kind of scramble and run around, pass, whatever. But it looked really awkward, but you could you could just like take off and run for. 40 yards with Vic pretending like you were going to pass and everyone followed their receivers and on and on. I, 
to get to the point, the point, and to bring it back from Michael Vick, it, it sometimes I, I worry that with Miguel Almiron, MLS just was not designed for a player of his speed and his skill in midfield. That it was it was designed for a situation where you drop back and you bring up the receivers you want to pass to, and then you pass it up, and instead it got this guy that can just run right by all the other midfielders and all the other defenders. I mean, it was time and time. There's so many memories in my head of teams and no one getting close to them. If, if a player is is dribbling and taking on defenders in close quarters, they might try to tackle and he might beat them. Like I think Pity Martinez is good at this. Those those things all register as take-ons in the data. And you can see who's good at dribbling. But with Almiron, I don't I just think he runs by entire teams and basically he broke MLS in the same way that uh, I broke Madden in 2002. So, I mean, can we, I, it's terrifying because <laughs> what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, gosh, I mean, to have a game breaking player, literally. Um, Sam, he's not there anymore. He's gone. He's, he's left our lives for Newcastle upon time. Yeah. And I don't know how to, to handle that. And I don't know where PD kind of fits into that. I don't know where Zeke kind of fits into that. We may never know. And this year might be terrible and it might just be 2017, but worse. And Joe may be right. We're going to finish fourth again and we're going to lose to Columbus in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not just, yeah. I mean, it's not just that when you're in the stands, when he touches the ball, you have a distinct feeling that he's going to run by three guys, but even when he doesn't have the ball, right. You know, in the in the ASA preview, I looked at who on our team received the ball in the penalty area the most. Mm-hmm. And when when you're when you're looking at that, you're thinking about okay, it, who's getting in there, making runs, receiving the ball to create shots. And so, if you've got Joseph Martinez and Tito Bialba who scored really high on that, Almiron, Almiron, despite being the highest, most prolific passer into the box to to find his teammates on our team. Um, he was also third at getting on the ball in the box. And so to your point on how, how does, how does Mar- new Martinez and Barco work into that? It's, it's unclear, right? Maybe we've got, maybe we've got the guy that can shoot and can pass, but we, we need, you know, somebody's got to get in there in the box with Joseph and take defenders away from them. And you wonder who that is and you wonder how it's going to work with Barco and, and Zeke, Barco and, and Nagby and, and pity. TF, I, I have good news. Um, Frank DeBoer says that at the very least, we will be creating more chances by the end of the year. Thoughts? Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I, I struggle with that one. It, I don't know if we're going to go uh, too deep into your, uh, your neurotic analysis of, um, of DeBoer as our coach, but Look, I, I just want the I mean, truth, I, man. I just want the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, again, I think I, I – Yeah, I, and I sang his praises earlier, and I'm really excited he's our coach, and he's almost certainly a better coach than most MLS coaches, right? But – um, Yeah. I, I'm uh, – I don't know. I, I, I'm worried about it. 
yeah no it's it's, it's scary <laughs> it's scary to to have him say stuff like that and then you know stuff like everything kind of correlates well, yeah. back to break shay's height which is crazy um yeah like tata used to game after game in the press conferences he would say yeah we created we created chances we created a lot of chances you know they're either going to fall or they're not going to fall that and much more eloquently than that, he would talk about how the team was doing the right things and creating chances. And for DeBoer to come out and say, oh, much further into the season, I think we're going, <laughs> we're going to be creating more chances. I'm like, holy shit. Uh, it could just be a translation thing. Like, it could, it could just be that I look at him when he's saying those things, and it's, it's uh, just not as natural tongue. Right. I don't know. Yeah, time will tell. Time will tell, but it, but it might be stressful until then. Um, what is a what is a stat if we do get to the end of this end of this year and we're trying to figure everything out, it kind of piece together. What's one to keep an eye on uh, as far as uh, whether or not this team is advancing in the right direction throughout the year? Is there one in particular that kind of stands out to you that uh, might give us a better idea of if this team is going to get to a place where we want them to be by the end of the year? Yeah, so so that's a good question. Really good question. I, I think at the at the highest level, right? Just things like are you creating chances in, in the in good areas, and are you preventing them on your own end? I've said it over and over again now is like the the key one to look at. But I mean, that's sort of a, a cop out, right? Because that's where the magic and and the game is. There's all sorts of things that happen and tactics and difficult things to put into words and and especially to put in numbers that get you there. My gut here, and I haven't thought about this beforehand is literally what I would do would be to take DeVore's words at face value, right? He has an idea of the way he wants to play and we should do our best to pick out metrics that suggest that's going in the right direction or, or it's not. I think it was, it was nice when, when Tata would talk about these sorts of things and he would talk about pressing and he would talk about winning the ball in, in dangerous areas. Um, and you can you can look at that and 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 one metric I would look at in 2017 and then a good amount of 2018 was how are we doing on the press? Like are, are we getting out there and and creating turnovers in the opposition half? Mm-hmm. If that's happening, even if the shots aren't coming, you, you sort of think they will. Um, I, I it's this makes it really fun because because we don't know exactly what DeBoer's vision is here. We you know we're told it's something slightly more under control and less freewheeling it's something slightly more conservative on defense we think the pressing is going to be triggered maybe at midfield instead of all the way at your opponent's penalty box Mm. um uh, so i don't have a great one for you but i just think we should and Jason schwinn at dirty south soccer will be um you know touching in on um divorce press conferences after all the games, oh, and, with, with and the, trying to get nuggets, nuggets out of this. Yeah, yeah, these nugs. Yeah, d- these, yeah, hashtag these nugs. And I think we should pay attention to that and try to pick out what he's saying as we go forward, and and then hold him accountable to it, and see if there's any way we can we can pick out stuff in the numbers that's either confirming it or denying it. That at least tells us if the coach sort of thinks his team is going in the right direction, or if it's like James O'Connor at Orlando city, where he's just saying things like you know, mentality and I don't know what the hell, but whatever that's, that stuff is right. You know, you can tell, 
if the coach can't articulate what he's trying to do. So. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, accountability, an interesting point there, because apparently DSS solely is responsible for the lack of development for Andrew Carlton. So we're told from a few <laughs> American soccer blogs. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to yeah. work, we're going to work on holding Frank accountable to, to one, play the kids and to two, create more chances inside the box. And if, if we don't, if we fail to win MLS cup in 2019, then, and you can go to your, your friendly neighborhood soccer blog and blame us for yeah. it. It'd be great. I should add, I mean, the uh, one key one, which is not in anyone's control, is just injuries, right? So sure. Joseph Martinez played all of, he started all of the games last year, right? The best player in the league and one of the best anyone's ever seen. He played all of the games for his team. And we got all these other competitions this year. One big thing will be if everyone is healthy, you would, you would almost imagine that's enough. But, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right, man. Anything you want to plug before we get you out of here? No, just keep listening to Five Stripe Final. It's awesome. Oh, thanks so much. You're the best. Appreciate it. Uh, go check that out, uh, Teodal Football on Twitter. Uh, he's at T-I-O-T-A-L Football. Um, yeah, and he's got a weird Daft Punk kind of avatar going on and some dutch words on his handle and everything like that but but go check him out on twitter uh and he's doing some excellent stuff go check out american soccer analysis at americansocceranalysis.com uh any kind of xg stats we're mentioned in here on the show we're getting from there um and check out the team previews they're excellent uh they're extremely informative on on every single team you can you can learn every single thing you want to about the colorado rapids i don't know why you would want to but if you really really wanted to you could you could. Uh, it's all right there. Um, so go check all that out. And of course, check out DirtSouthSoccer.com and everything like that while, while, while we have you while we have you listen to the plugs. Um, yeah. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, we'll have a me and Joe. Joe will be back eventually. We'll let him back on the show. Uh, should have some kind of show coming to you probably Sunday nights live from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. We'll be back home. Uh, I'm glad to be giving you that. Um, and we'll probably cover a bit of Monterey and cover Whatever the hell happened with Cincy, it better be like a 6 nothing route at that point. Uh, but, but we'll see. We'll see. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And check us out on Twitter. At Five Track Cool? Cool? Cool. Bye, y'all.